ago, we began a sermon and worship series, Rediscover Church. The two authors of a book by that title realized that after the pandemic, and even before the pandemic, declining church membership and attendance in the United States, there were many who needed to rediscover church. And it seemed to me that uh, many of us who don't really need to rediscover church still need periodically to go to the Word of God and be reminded of um, how God has designed his body to work in the world. And uh, so let me encourage you to be with us the next few weeks as we together dig into the New Testament and uh, rediscover church or uh, review what we already know. Um, many of you bought the book by that title. You liked the price or you liked the pitch, uh, and we had to order more copies. So if you're one of those who was unable to get one, I think there are four or five copies left in the church office, and uh, you could stop by and pick one up. Now, having just started the series two weeks ago, we took a break already last week, and as I explained at the time, the homiletics conference was held at Moody Bible Institute this year, and while these friends of mine in the ministry of teaching, preaching, were in town, I wanted to uh, bring one of them to the pulpit uh, to give you uh, an exposure to one of my friends in ministry, and so Dr. Dennis Phelps uh, preached last week. But today, we are back on track with the series on the church. We're going to sing Praising God for the Word before we open the Word, uh, this is a hymn that we have sung before that reminds us that God who spoke in the scriptures and spoke in his Son still wants to speak to us today through the open Bible. Would you turn with me to 414, 414, and we'll stand as we sing. Crazy. 
Microsoft Word does not like my sermon title. Every time I type it, I get the word underlined with that red squiggly line that says, um, this is not a word. But I'm going to use it anyway. It should be a word. I guess actually now that I'm using it, it is a word. That's a nice thing about English. We're always getting new words. Even though you don't find the word in the New Testament, you do find the reality to which the word points. You read about the church, the body of Christ, in the pages of the New Testament, and you read things like love one another, honor one another, prefer one another, counsel one another, confront one another, meet together with one another, and I sum it all up by saying one another, one another. I want to talk this morning as we continue this series on the church about one anothering. For example, Galatians 5 verse 13 says that we are to serve one another in love. God has so designed his body, the church, that we are supposed to use our time, our talent, our treasure, our gifts, all to serve one another, like his son, who came not to be served, but to serve, he said. We are to look for ways to help, support, assist, enrich, serve one another. And there's a church in Santa Fe, New Mexico, that has a sign over the door, the only entry into the sanctuary. It says, Servants' Entrance. There's no way in or out except the door of service. And then in Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul urges us to be devoted to one another in brotherly love and then to honor one another. The King James Version says, uh, pretty literally, it's a good translation, to prefer one another, to give preference to one another. During the Iraq War, Marvin Savage, a reporter with CNN, was embedded with some Marines and had spent some weeks hanging out with four Marines in particular in their foxhole and had been telling those who watched on television how these Marines had been looking out for him, about the many hardships that they faced, and how they looked out for one another. And he turned to the four and said that he had clearance from their commanding officers to let them use his video phone to call home. And the 19-year-old standing next to him asked if instead he could let his platoon sergeant have that privilege to call his pregnant wife back in the United States. He hadn't been able to talk to her in a few months. The reporter, Savage, was visibly moved and said sure, and the Marine ran off to find the sergeant. Savage recovered after a few seconds and then turned to the other three Marines um, who were still sitting with him and asked which one of them would like to go first, and one of them spoke up and said, sir, if it's okay with you, we would like instead to call the parents of our buddy um, who was killed last month um, and see how they're doing. 
And at that, Martin Savage broke down and was uh, unable to speak on camera. All he could get out before signing off was, where do you get young men like this? Well, loyal Marines know the answer to that. Well, let's ask the question um, of the church. Where do you get young men and women, boys and girls, who prefer one another, who give preference to one another, who honor one another like that? Well, maybe, let's pray so, God finds a few right here as we one another, one another. Another one another in the New Testament is to bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6. Anna had never felt so alone. Her husband, Herman, was in the hospital needing surgery to repair a hernia, but the fact that he also had Alzheimer's complicated it, made it anything but a routine operation. The doctor visited Herman's room and told Anna that after surgery they were going to have to put arm and leg restraints on Herman because they were afraid that in his confusion he would pull the IVs out and and or harm himself in some way and they didn't have enough staff to keep constant watch over him and Anna tried to envision what this was going to look like for her husband um, and the image tormented her what would, what what could she do and while she's still pondering this, she heard a knock at the hospital door. She answered it, and it was Mike and Carol, a couple from her church. Mike and Carol were 30 years younger than Anna, but they had become friends through their involvement in the church. And uh, Carol noticed the stress in Anna's eyes and uh, was able to draw out what was troubling her. Mike and Carol didn't know what to do about it either, but they were on their way to a small group meeting, and they told Anna that their group would for sure pray about the matter. And uh, about an hour later, the phone rang, and Anna picked it up before it had a chance to wake Herman up, and it was Carol on the phone. Um, Carol said, after we prayed for you tonight, somebody asked, well, why can't the hospital nursing staff watch Herman? And uh, I explained to them that they didn't have enough staff to do that. And one of the group members said, well, what if we did it? What if, what if we took turns um, staying uh, with Herman um, so that every moment of recovery had somebody with him? And Anna said, well, I can't, I can't ask you to do that. And Carol said, um, you didn't ask. We're offering. Would that work? So Anna put the phone down, walked to the nurse's station, and when she returned, she told Carol that as long as somebody who was awake and alert was with Herman, he wouldn't have to be restrained. And before she could add, but I, I don't want you to go to all that trouble, she heard Carol relay this response to the group, and a cheer went up from the small group. And that night, more than a dozen people volunteered for round-the-clock shifts at Herman's bedside while he recovered. And for the next three days, somebody was there with him all the time, so he didn't have to be restrained. And the person telling this story sums up, that group had discovered the power of one-anothering. So I guess I'm not the first one to use the word. 
the group had discovered the power of one anothering. Now notice that it was not the pastor or the elders or the deacons who volunteered to take care of Herman. There is a tradition in the Western Church, at least, that the paid staff are supposed to do the mercy ministries, the visiting in the hospitals and in the nursing homes and such, and the paid staff at CCC love to do that. We're happy to do that, but we, we also want our church family to know that if you have been visited by somebody in the church, you have been visited by the church. That this is part of one anothering that we are all called to, we are all privileged to share the care ministry of bearing one another's burdens. Well, there are plenty of one another's in the New Testament, except one another, offer hospitality to one another, live in harmony with one another, submit to one another. Why? Because we are members of one body. The New International Version actually translates Ephesians 4.25 freely. The word that Paul uses in Greek is the same one that we have been seeing elsewhere translated one another. We are members one of one body and it literally is we are members of one another. Same Greek word. We, some in our family, listened to or read a book a while back on the secret life of trees. When the roots of trees touch each other, there's a substance produced that reduces competition. In fact, this fungus helps link the roots of trees, even dissimilar species, so that a whole forest may actually be linked together. If one tree has access to water, another to nutrients, another to sunlight, the trees have this means of sharing with one another. And like those trees in a forest, the church, Christians in the church, can support one another. We're connected. Now, the Apostle Paul did not know about the secret life of trees. But he did know that the parts of the human body are interdependent. And so the body became his favorite metaphor for the church. Here's just a sampling of what he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You can look it up on your own later. Verse 12, the body, he's talking about the physical body, but also the church, um, is a unit, although it's made up of many parts. And though all of its parts are many, they form one body. Verse 14, the body's not made up of one part, but of many, which is why the foot can't say to the hand, I don't need you, and the ear can't say to the eye, I don't need you. We need each other. Verse 21, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Verse 24, God has combined the members of the body so that there would be no division in the body, but that its parts would have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, the whole body is honored. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. Body is the metaphor. 
community is what the metaphor represents. No one is a Christian alone. God has put us into community, and it's even in the name of our church. I'm glad it's there. This isn't a throwaway line, is it? I read about a businessman who uh, had to go on a trip, and he needed a suit uh, cleaned before he left, and he remembered that across town there was a cleaning establishment that said, one hour cleaning. So he went out of his way, took his suit to it, and filled out the ticket and said, I'll, I'll need this this afternoon. And the lady said, well, we can't have it uh, for you until Thursday. And he said, I thought you were one-hour cleaners. And she said, oh, that's just the name of the store. I, I hope that this is not just the name of the church, that we can uh, safely ignore the implications of it. One anothering is uh, implied even in our church's name. It's a commitment, I hope, that we will keep. One anothering includes not only the acts of mercy and kindness, the kind of care that that small group showed for Anna and Herman. Um, one anothering sometimes meets, means getting in one another's faces. Colossians 3 says that we're supposed to teach and admonish one another, both. Uh, while teaching spells out what the Bible says, admonishing gets real personal about it. If I lead an adult Bible fellowship in a discussion of forgiveness, that's teaching. But if later in the week I meet with someone and say, brother, your unforgiving spirit is eating you alive, that's admonishing. If I cast a vision for fidelity in marriage, that's teaching. But if I meet with a friend later in the week and say, I am concerned about your relationship with your wife. If I'm not mistaken, you've been spending an unusual amount of time with this other woman. That's admonishing. The Bible says we're supposed to do it, both of it, teaching and admonishing to one another for one another. Similarly, Romans 15 says that we are to instruct or counsel one another. This is the kind of thing that's supposed to be happening regularly in our churches, including this one. That we're not just waiting for the professionals to straighten uh, our brothers and sisters out, to um, be honest with one another and, where necessary, confront one another instruct or counsel. The word counsel is hard to capture the meaning of the Greek in, in just one English word. It, it does imply confrontation, getting um, upfront, personal, and for lack of a better word off the top of my head, a little bit nosy with one another. Get, get right in one another's faces. Um, the movement that uh, John Wesley started stressed in the small groups of the infant Methodist church, mutual accountability. Before somebody could become part of that community, they would be asked a series of questions to see if they were serious about living in mutual accountability. Listen to these questions and imagine them being asked of prospective members in the United States in our own time. 
Does any sin, inward or outward, have dominion over you? Do you desire to be told of your faults? Do you desire to be told all of your faults, and that plain and clear? By this point, if, you, if, if, if I were advising a bunch of pastors about how to conduct a new membership process, they'd all be laughing by this point, just trying to envision people being Here, Consider, do you desire that we should tell you whatsoever we think, whatsoever we fear, and whatsoever we hear concerning you? Do you desire that in doing this, we should come as close as possible, that we should cut to the quick and search your heart to the bottom? Now there's a group, a small group, that took seriously what Paul says in Romans 15, 14. Counsel one another. Well, the New Testament has more one another's than we have time for this morning. Do a search on your own. Get out a paper concordance or go online and do a Bible search of all the one another's in the New Testament. Greet one another. Stop judging one another. Accept one another. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. Well, this one sums it all up. Love one another. John 13, verse 34. This is Jesus talking. Love one another. Whether we're talking about the tender acts of mercy and grace or whether we're talking about tough love accountability, the church's members are supposed to one another, love one another. And Jesus' words are echoed by Peter and Paul and John. He himself goes on to say that this is going to be the mark of the Christian. This is how people watching the church are supposed to be able to figure out that we are Jesus' people, that we love and attempt to follow Christ. How? Love one another. And that's how people will know about Jesus. Five o'clock on a Friday afternoon, Jeff was looking forward to going home after a demanding week, 80-hour week in the workplace. Have some dinner, kick back and relax. The phone rang and um, a voice said, Jeff, it's Jimmy. Jimmy was a guy that Jeff knew who was suffering from several AIDS-related illnesses. And Jimmy said, I am really sick, Jeff. I've got a fever. Please help me. And Jeff was angry. I mean, he did not want to hear from Jimmy after the kind of week he had, but he promised that he'd be right over. And the whole drive over, he was complaining to God about the inconveniences. The moment he walked in the door, Jeff could smell the vomit. Jimmy was on the sofa, shivering, distressed. Jeff wiped his forehead, got a bucket of soapy water to clean up the mess, managed to project a facade of concern, even though inside he was still stewing. And then Jimmy's friend Russ, who also had AIDS, came down the stairs, and the odor made Russ sick, too. And as Jeff cleaned up the carpet around Russ's chair, he was ready to explode inside. Until Russ said, 
I understand. I get it. Jimmy said weakly, what, what do you understand, Russ? I understand who Jesus is, Russ said. He's like Jeff. Weeping now, Jeff hugged Russ and prayed with him. And that night, Russ trusted Jesus Christ as his personal savior. God had helped Jeff, despite himself, to model Jesus-like love. This is how it's supposed to work. This is not supposed to be an unusual story. Our Lord Jesus said, this is how people are going to know you're mine. You want another one another. You love one another. And friends, you can't do this by yourself. By which I not only mean you need God's help, I mean you can't do it alone. You can pray when you're by yourself. You can read the Bible by yourself, but you can't one another by yourself. And so the Bible says, meet with one another. Hebrews 10, don't give up the habit of meeting together. Some are in the habit of doing that, don't you? But rather, encourage one another. Come together. Encourage one another. This is not an option. All of the one another's of the New Testament are imperatives. <laughs> you remember that from English class? Indicative means this is what is the case. Imperative means you do this. You're supposed to do this. And all of them together involve other people. You got to come together. Now on a Lord's Day, somewhere between 350 and 400 of us come together for corporate worship, it's kind of hard to do one another ministry in a group this size. You don't remember everybody's name. You don't know where they're hurting. You, you, you don't know what their living situation or their work situation is like. It's not just hard. It, it's impossible to one another one another in a group this size. And so churches our size are bigger um, organize for smaller group ministry. The way we do that at our church is through adult Bible fellowships. Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock, before we gather for corporate worship, we gather in smaller groups where you can pray for one another, know one another, take meals to one another, fellowship with one another, bear one another's burdens. And you who are new to the church can learn more about adult Bible fellowships through the inroads class. It's not the only way that a church can organize for one anothering, but that's how we do it here. Adult Bible fellowship. Bible is an important part of what we do every Sunday, but fellowship, that's another word for one anothering. Maybe Microsoft Word would let me get away with fellowship. Form friendships. Uphold each other in prayer. Meet one another's needs. Now, there's no guarantee that ABFs will always function well doing this, but we're counting on it. We're committed to them doing it because Jesus and the apostles do not leave us with the option of not one anothering. And in fact, I think that there's a connection between numerical growth of a church and the qualitative growth that comes from one anothering. And one thing that I hope will happen across America 
as people read the book or hear from the pulpit about rediscovering church is that our relationships will go deeper and that that meeting of an innate human need that Christ has built into his body will result in church growth. Tracy is a worship leader in another congregation. One Sunday morning she got up and it was her turn to be on the platform, but she would have rather not. She would have rather just stayed in bed. It had been a chaotic week filled with petty crises and minor accidents all mixed up with a bunch of crazy busyness. She was weary and she was cranky. She felt like she was going to go to church, but she didn't have anything to give. And then she came downstairs and she saw the living room window where her eight-year-old daughter Brenna had written all over the window in crayon. And at first, Tracy thought, oh great, one more mess to clean up. And then she noticed what Brenna had written on the window. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and she had spelled some of the words of Ephesians um, in her eight-year-old way, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And Tracy paused, drank it in. This is what she needed to be reminded about, the gifts of the Spirit of Christ to his people, the fruit that he produces in their lives, fruit that's not dependent on circumstances or what kind of a week you've had, but on the work of God in you. And then Tracy noticed one more thing that Brenna had written at the edge of the window. Love one another. Didn't I say that sums it all up? But Brenna's spelling was interesting. Love one another. And Tracy realized that that's what Jesus is trying to tell me this morning. I was one by love. Now I need to go and do likewise. Let's pray about that. Father, we sang praise for your word. Inscripturated in the Old and New Testament, incarnate in Christ, and still addressing the church as the Holy Spirit illumines our minds to understand and apply the inspired word. And I'm hoping that for myself and these my brothers and sisters, that wasn't just an exercise in following the order of worship, that we mean what we sang, that we love your word and we love to hear you speak to us from it. And some of what we have heard this morning is refreshing and encouraging and some of it, frankly, is challenging because we don't perfectly live out this one-anothering business. But you're so gracious, you're so patient with us, you're so kind that you take our inadequate efforts encourage them, bless them, 
grow us in Christ's likeness so we can do better in the future. And we're going to trust that you'll do that through this study. That you won't let us quickly forget it, move on to other things to think about, but that we will reflect on how you are challenging each of us individually and all of us together to be the church. For the glory of Christ, the head of the church, and in his name we pray, amen.